0: It's become tradition here at Manager Tools for us to release our performance review casts from many, many years ago over the Thanksgiving break. Many companies are gonna be having performance review season from now until the end of the year. There's gonna be another group of you that probably be doing your performance reviews in January. We release these casts at Thanksgiving every year so that you can get a jump on your reviews. Today, we're giving you preparing the performance review. It was a two-part cast when we originally recorded it, but we smushed it down so you can get all the goodness in one go. After me, you'll hear Mike introduce the cast, and then after the cast ends, you'll hear me again at the transition point, so you know when to stop if you want to split your listening into two. Here we go.
1: Well, it's that time of year again. Most managers we know right now are thinking about the holidays and annual reviews. Now, you didn't forget about that, did you? Well, after years of managing, training, consulting, we've concluded that this is one of the most poorly managed and implemented processes that we're aware of not hard to do but for plenty of bad reasons many managers just don't handle this responsibility well for those of you who do it's an enormous competitive advantage now this is a huge topic so we're dedicating at least the next three podcasts to helping you deliver an effective performance review we've taken the approach that you haven't had a whole year of one-on-ones despite i'm sure your dedication to doing so in the coming year um, so you don't have the related notes and haven't done quarterly reviews to prepare for this one In this first podcast, we start walking through how to write the review. There are three steps in this first part of the process, collecting data, evaluating data, and finally writing the review. All three of those steps are going to take about two podcasts to get through, and then starting with the third cast from the series, we'll talk about how to actually deliver the evaluation. So with that, let's get to the conversation with Mark. I think today's topic is going to be pretty useful to folks, uh, it's about this the time of year when people start thinking about reviews and getting ready. And I know a lot of managers uh, approach this time of the year with a lot of trepidation because they really don't have a methodology for how they're going to go about doing the performance reviews. Yeah. Do, do you find that that folks get uh, pretty um, are are pretty worried about how they go about this during the? This
0: you time know, it's year? funny. I, I think the really good ones do, and 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 privately they're. They get upset that the company doesn't do a better job of preparing them and giving them information. I mean, the HR is great at giving deadlines, you know, and say, and shaking their finger and saying you will and you have to and you must and you should. Um, I, you know, I, I think a lot of managers um, just put it off, and and I'm not sure – there's anything worse they can do than that because everybody knows they're putting it off and then rushing around at the last minute and then expecting to have some credibility, some professional credibility when you're delivering a last minute review. You know, why bother? I mean, it, it almost sets you up for three months worth of failure after the fact. Uh, and, and, and to me, I, I'll tell you, I've been doing this job long enough, Mike, that really my whole feeling about annual reviews, performance reviews, is it's horrible and it's horrible because you cannot win a game being down by four touchdowns in the le- with a great two minute drill. Right. Performance reviews were meant to be the end, an afterthought almost from a performance management system. Look, look, I mean, look at it this way: no companies, almost none, did any performance reviews, annual reviews, evaluations before World War II. Almost none, even before World War One. Okay. The only ones that did it were a few big companies that were very technical or or had a really unusual background and um, the military. And the military did it for a very simple reason. Their chain of command might change very drastically, very quickly, if they have to do their job. And so they needed a good sense of where talent was. And that's why the chain of command is so important in the military. You know, if the captain dies, I hate to say it, but the first lieutenant takes over. Interestingly enough, the military does this better than anybody else. And, in fact, the military... Is good at it i mean the system the military has you and i both were in the army the system is very good it's a little inflated like most companies but not as much as most Um, and the process by which it works is very efficient Um, and everybody knows it so the military actually was really the first ones that did this and then believe it or not my hero peter drucker came along shortly after world war ii and invented a concept called Management by Objectives. He didn't invent it. He essentially made it very clear to people that if the big company has an objective, that the only way for to get there is for all the individual managers to support that objective. And so bosses would say, I need this from you this year. And then they would, at the end of the year, evaluate on whether or not you did it. The whole point was Management by Objective was a way of dealing with things day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, quarter-to-quarter. And then at the end of the year, you had so much data, the annual review was fairly straightforward. Over time, management by objective went away. It was too harsh. It was too mean, whatever, all kinds of reasons. Companies got away from coaching and feedback and day-to-day performance management. And without that, the evaluation becomes very important. You mean you're going to change my pay, but you're not going to do me the courtesy of giving me feedback along the way so I can move in the right direction. And so we've we've essentially lumped our – we've put ourselves through – lack of discipline, into a situation where we have a very important process that has no hard work done in advance of it in most cases, but it still has all the implications of salary, of pay. You know, we, we did a podcast once called Your Resume Stinks. Most people's resumes are not that good. That's the individual equivalent, in my opinion, of performance management, performance evaluation. This is one of the three or four most broken personnel processes in corporate America, and, and, and maybe perhaps worldwide, that I'm aware of.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I've witnessed it for
0: longer than I care to admit. One of the things I've noticed, I bet you there are a lot of people who would think of you as being a good evaluator, uh, even if during the year you weren't giving a lot of feedback. I know that wasn't you. The things they lionize about the process now is that you write good reviews. And it's become about writing or about filling out the form rather than about being clear with your subordinates about what needs to happen, having, giving them feedback and being clear when you deliver what they've done well and what they haven't done well. I've been in a number of meetings where HR people, senior managers held up reviews said, this is a well-written review. And I wanted to say, well, yeah, that's true. But, you know, is that what we're really shooting for? Because I can write real well. Does that mean I don't have to show up for work for a year, but then I can just write good reviews? Um. So so yeah right, the standard
1: has become a well a well-written view in the sense of prose versus yeah an instrument that's useful in helping guide someone towards improving their performance and enhancing their yeah. opportunities for development within the company.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. Yes. And and I believe that the writing is really about around the the formulaicness if you will of of the form as opposed to it being chock-a-block with good information that will help people. So,
1: yeah. Good. Well, I, I think, you know, um, a lot of people have difficulties with reviews, and I, I suspect that most managers right now are thinking about reviews. They may not be doing anything, but they're certainly thinking about it um, and feeling a little bit of stress going into um, sure. the end of the year because they they really haven't developed a method for uh, completing performance reviews. Yes. Um, And I think some of the things we're going to talk about today should alleviate some of that stress because it's it's a relatively straightforward process. I'd say it's particularly straightforward if you're following our advice on performance management systems throughout the entire year. But um, there's certainly time now to, between now and the end of January, to give somebody a a well-written and effective performance review if we kind of go through some of these steps.
0: Yeah. Uh, one thing you mentioned end of January, you and I have kind of agreed through, you know, my my experience and your experience that end of January is a not unusual time for the deadline to be. Um, but we'd like to put out an ask to everybody here to send us a note, send us an email or or post to the website and tell us what the rough timeline is at your company. We'd also love to see any of, any of the evaluation forms just so we can continue to advance our knowledge and think and be able to provide insight based on what's happening out there now we suspect most forms are a combination of numerical analysis uh ranking against behavioral traits and also uh you know some brief commentary um that's 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 a a short answer to what we know is a great we have a great deal of knowledge about all the different formats but we'd like to see what exists now um but we'd particularly be interested in what the timeline is we're doing this at the end of the year um this year because um Because it makes sense. Um, But as you say, this is the end of the performance management process for the previous year. And we're going to have to take the approach that not everybody who's listening to us has done performance management throughout the year. Um, And so we're going to take an abbreviated approach to this and talk about getting ready, at least in this cast and maybe in another one, about writing the review, knowing that you haven't dotted your I's and crossed your T's throughout the year, and then we'll remind you at some point in the near future here how you can be more effective in terms of dotting your I's and crossing your T's into, in the next year so that you'll be ready. And, it, and and writing your review a year from now will be much simpler. All the data will be right in front of you. You won't have to gather it, and you'll be able to come to a conclusion very, very quickly.
1: Yeah. Now, our most of our listeners will be listening to this on Monday or Tuesday. Are there any things that they can do today, right now, to to
0: get this process started? Yeah, there are two things right now you can do that'll make your life easier. That'll put you half a step ahead of a lot of the people. First of all, lock down the location where you're going to do your reviews. uh, Now, obviously, if it's in your office, lucky you, good to go. Um, If it's not going to be in your office, find a space at the company where you can do it, and that means going in and locking down the conference room. for a couple of days in order to get everybody through. Um, And uh, that'll make things a little bit easier. The other thing is you're gonna be asking each team member to review their own performance. That may surprise you, maybe your company asked for that, and if that's the case, great. We've got on our website, so you need to go and visit today, a document that will you can use as guidance in terms of sending out an email or visiting with your folks in your one-on-one. It's a script for or a memo to send out to say, look, I'm going to ask you to review your own performance. So you can ask them to do that now before the Christmas holidays um, so you can get it back. So if you have any chance to think about this over the holidays, you'll be well ahead of the game. You don't want people handing it to you right before that you deliver your review. You want to get it back in time to consider what they've included in your evaluation of them. So those are two things, lock down the location and ask your folks for their input, uh, to be given back to you within a couple of weeks.
1: Yeah. I've always found in my personal experience has been that, um, a good deadline for me has been before you go home for the holidays, yeah. uh, have this to me. So usually by, by Christmas time and, you know, people say, well, what about their, performance between Christmas and end of the year. Well, there's, <laughs> <laughs> there's not a lot, a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, there. and I but, would also
0: say you can, you can trust me to consider all of that performance, uh, I, but, but it would really help me if you look at the first 50 weeks of the year. I can worry about the other 4%. Those are two things you can do right away. Now, I think our plan, isn't our plan, Mike, to really focus on the, 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 the really to break this into two parts. One is writing a review. And then the second part is delivering the review. Absolutely. The writing is really where the more work you've done in advance, the easier it's going to be. But writing a review, preparing it, going through the steps of preparing a review and then writing it, is very different from the actual meeting of delivering it. Um, And so we're going to make a whole separate um, show or shows around delivering the review and talk about what to say and how to say it and data you need to have there and so on. Um, and when we talk about writing a review, really there are three key steps. Um, we have to own three components of writing a review, and that's collecting the data that you're going to use, evaluating the data, and then, of course, actually writing the review. And we do have some suggestions there. Basically, when it comes to collecting the data, you've got to go back through the year and look at whatever you can get your hands on about how the employee did their job. We do have some suggestions then you need to evaluate the data. And that means before you start writing, you have to think about the employee's performance. You don't want to get all this data and then immediately start writing because if you start off in the wrong direction, if you don't pause, um, you'll end up in the wrong place when you get done. And then lastly, um, it's important that you write a review that the system will accept and the employee will accept. And so that's the third step is writing one that you can feel good about. Uh, And there are some simple writing techniques. We have a couple of them that will make filling out those essay portions a lot simpler, um, that, that are concise and yet full enough to deliver the information you need to make your point. Um, so, uh, let, you want to talk about collecting data first? Yeah, let's talk about collecting data. Okay. Um, yeah you know, as I mentioned before we don 't have time to teach you all the stuff <laughs> that you should have been doing but haven 't been doing over the past year. We respect that everybody 's been busy and and uh, you haven 't done it that 's fine this this what we 're about to deliver is as if you have not done anything in terms of management skills you don 't have anything in front of you. Um, And hopefully this process, as we walk this through, our listeners will see the incredible value of one-on-ones as a bucket where you not only communicate on day-to-day, but if you're keeping good records about one-on-ones, you have the very low-tech but highly powerful um, one-on-one forms as a repository of incredibly valuable information for collecting review data. Um, So we want to go through, as we collect data, there are five sources of information that you need to collect data from. First is the job. Secondly is the job holder, and we'll talk about what that means in just a bit. Then the individual, subtle difference between individual and job holder. Then self-appraisal, we've already talked about that. We're going to ask them to appraise themselves. And lastly, some organizational data. Um, So first, let's talk about job data. Believe it or not, you want to start with the job description. Um, and, And you want to review it, and you want to ask yourself, first question, is it accurate? Um, and that means is everything that's on it correct for this person's job? Now, I know what there's some people. Mike, let me ask you something. What do you think that some managers here are listening to this cast right now? Some of our listeners um, are, are listening right now and are thinking, okay, okay get on, get on, get on, get on with it. Get on, tell me about how to write the darn thing. I, I just want to put a little clutch. Well, you think they're probably doing that?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. So
0: I'm going to put a little clutch in here, and I'm going to say, folks, this is the process. Take your time. If you want to do well delivering a good review, you've got to put your time in up front. You've already, I'm going to be the dark mark for a minute, you've already frittered away most of the year. If you want to continue that, that's fine, but just don't tell anybody when you deliver the review from which you didn't evaluate the job description, don't tell them we helped you. Um, But review the job description. Is it accurate? Is everything that's on it correct? And then is it complete? Is there something that's not on it that should be on it? Um, And it's likely that some things are not going to be on it. Um, Please don't say it's so horrible that this step is not worth it, because if you don't touch on it and your boss or HR look at it and see places where you disagree with it, that's going to make it harder. Even if you're proven right, it's going to make it harder because they're assuming that you will have looked at the job description. Okay? Now, it's also a good time for you to make a note and say, boy, this is really not that good. I'm going to have to update it, and and me and my employee are going to update it. We're going to collaborate on update it in our goal-setting session that happens later on, okay? And if you're saying to yourself, well, we don't have job descriptions here, that's okay. We've got a way for you to simply create one. doesn't take very long. and, and this will help you think about the job because the job is what the person is being compared to. And if you don't have anything to compare them to, then it boils down to just your opinion. And that generally doesn't hold weight, doesn't hold water if HR doesn't like you, if you have a difficult relationship with your boss. You want to have objective things to compare the person's performance to. So five simple questions to, you can ask yourself, um, and all you have to do is fill in the blanks. The first question is, the reason the company created this job was to blank. Second, the most important ways a person doing this job should spend their time are blank. Don't have to have any formal, big, impressively worded answers. Simple, plain spoken English. uh, Or whatever language it is you use. Um, Number three, the two to three most important duties of this job are. Number four, what this job takes to be successful is. And that tends to be more traits and characteristics and this is my favorite the simplest easiest way to see if this job is being done well is blank okay now remember that's about the, the, what we've just gone through is about the job okay it's it's not about the team member we're not asking you to evaluate the team member in this. We're asking you to think about the role that they're in. This would apply if you've got 10 customer service reps or 10 product engineers working for you, whether they work on different products or not. Um, if you know if they have the same job description, you will be doing this for all 10. So this this may be, depending upon the types of people you have working for you and the diversity of your team, it might be a short step after you go through it the first time for one of the people on your team.
1: Okay. Yeah, why is this so important though? I mean, not everybody has them. They've they've done reviews in the past. Why is the job description so important that we're recommending people spend some time, even if they don't have one and have to create one?
0: Okay, a couple of reasons. First of all, as I mentioned before, if you don't have a job description, if you don't know what you're comparing, if there's no standard to which you're comparing this employee, then all it boils down to is your opinion. If this person gets a, a, a very good or a very bad review, You don't want to be standing in front of your boss or or your boss's boss or HR saying, this is my opinion, and I don't have any legitimate standard to compare them to. Um, If, in fact, there are legitimate reasons, organizational changes, uh, institutional changes, uh, marketplace changes, such that several of the goals you set for them in the previous year, they couldn't have achieved because they're outside of their control or another division changed their plans or what have you, if you don't have any goals to compare them to, no objectives, and there's no standard in terms of their job, in terms of a job description, there's nothing objective about it, then you're left with your opinion. If they did very well, and you want them to get a big raise, and it's all your opinion, the person who has the budget is going to say, well, no offense, but you're just a manager or a director or whatever. That's nice, that's your opinion, but we, we don't have anything to compare their data to. We're going to choose to leave him off as opposed to the person who nailed every single one of these other job description points over in this other division. Or if they did really poorly, You don't want to be in front of HR saying, this is my opinion. they say, well, but do you have a job description? Well, no, we don't. You guys didn't do it. Well, even though we didn't do it, you you really need to compare them to an objective standard. Let's go ahead and wait another year before you write them a difficult review. Let's give them a job description to compare themselves to.
1: Right. So you can only evaluate performance in the context of a specific standard. There you go. You know, I
0: took two minutes to say what you said in like three seconds. (laughs) No wonder our podcasts are too long for those morning commutes. Um, good point you 're absolutely right you need an objective standard. It gives you so much credibility when you have to stand next to your reviews um, and and again, the big thing with reviews are, are are either tail of the bell curve the top and the bottom you want your top people to get what they deserve and you want your bottom people you want the review of the people that are the bottom end of the spectrum to be to stand up so that you can have credibility when you put them on step one of of, of counseling or whatever the case might be, you want the organization to stand behind whatever evaluation you give. Okay. okay. So that's the job.
1: You, you, you said... Go ahead. Yeah, you said... So you said something about um, the second source of information being the job holder. What's a job holder? That doesn't... Yeah, that, it's,
0: you know, it's, it's really a bad title. We may want to come up with something different. This is actually the work that the employee did, but it's not, we're not at this point talking about the employee... Okay, Um, we separate the objective data we could gather or behavioral observations from the from the person. For instance, Mike, when we when we talk about the feedback model, we don't say you're a bad employee. We said you did X, and here's what happened. What can you do differently? In fact, I think I joked in one of our sessions. I said it's it's completely okay for you internally to say to yourself, "I love you" or "I care about you." And when you behave this way, here are the bad things that happen. We don't say "bad boy." We say son i love you and you need to do this differently not implying again that employees are are kids they're not okay so we make a distinction between the individual where we look at their history with the company and their resume previous reviews that's past, and the actual stuff they did in the job if you wanted to call this performance data that's fine you could does that help yeah that's okay good okay yeah we might want to change that and call it performance data
1: so so, what would you what what kind of things would you find when looking at this particular area of information? Well, The first one
0: and I'll tell you this is this is one that gets missed a lot um, is is objective data, and I'll tell you why it gets missed a lot, Mike. We talk about this you and I have talked about this before in terms of human behavior. Um, you've commented that I have a really good ability to observe someone and then describe their behavior rather than how I feel about their behavior. For instance, the whole thing about you made me mad. No, you didn't make me mad. You behaved a certain way and I choose to get mad. Well, so often managers are so quick to say, to not even see the behavior, but just to say, oh, he's angry or he's sharp or she's for, she's full of foresight or she's got a lot of insight here. That's not actually what happened. What happened was things they said, things they did, the words they said, how they said them and so on. Um, and a lot of times what happens is managers are quick to generalize or to draw a conclusion and forget what behavior or more importantly, in this case, the data that they have that supports their opinion. I tell you what, if you don't observe objective data and there is objective data in, in the system somewhere, and you have a review that's really good or really bad, because those are the ones that are going to get challenged. Um, if you have a good, a really good, or a really bad review, and there is objective data available to you that disagrees with your conclusion, you can expect to have to make a case why you're smarter than the data. And generally, you're okay. going to lose.
1: So, if so, give me some examples of the kind of data that we collect. Sure. Um,
0: you know, obviously this assumes that you're in a company big enough that pays attention to metrics and standards and reporting. But look, it could be as simple as the number of days they were late, number of calls they answered, number of calls they dropped, the average quality score of stuff that they produced, total parts produced, total jobs finished, the number of complaints, the number of compliments, the number of errors, the number of spot bonuses they got, the number of times they went on disciplinary action, the number of end-of-quarter awards, their ranking in the representative structure, their their the number of quarterly contests they won. You notice I'm not talking about the quality of their work. I'm talking about the numbers that then may cause me to draw a conclusion about the quality of their work. If I say that somebody has a poor attitude in their review, I better have five or six specific examples of of objective data. For instance, um, it's not enough to say routinely late. Well, you can say they're routinely late, but if you say in one two-month period they were late 26 times, you're not going to have anybody from HR arguing with you about their attitude. So you've got to gather the objective data. And what's helpful is one of the things managers tend to do is they tend to rate people who are like them or very dislike them, either positively or negatively. The objective data generally will support your conclusion. I'm not going to kid you. Most, most managers have a pretty good sense of their team. But it's very helpful to know that there are specific bits of data that help your case. And you want to state them if, in fact, you want to make a particularly strong case. Okay? Okay.
1: Okay. All right, good.
0: Now, I'm not saying that those are the only things. There could be hundreds of pieces of objective data. Um, you know, for me as a, as a consulting firm owner, it'd be the number of clients, the number of revenue, you know, the amount of revenue, the amount of profit, um, you know, because I have a responsibility for costs, um, the number of successful hires, the, the, the number of days employees have been retained, those kinds of things. Different for every job. Um, certainly, budget uh, for managers would be an issue. Um OK, next thing, critical incidents. Uh, it may be hard if you haven't done it throughout the year, um, but this is basically an accounting of events, which involve the team member, big or small, doesn't necessarily have to be huge. And of course, the problem so often is you can't recall things that are not huge uh, at the end of the year, particularly things that happened in February. It doesn't have to be huge or grand or good or bad. And it can be an incident. It's an incident rather than a bit of data. It could be the handling of the John Smith referral call. It could be uh, the connection between engineering and production on widget number 525. Um, and what you want to do is write down your recollection of that incident. Use whatever system you already have to gather data from. And obviously again, those one-on-ones with yellow stickies on them. If you, you know, if on Tuesday I'm going to meet you, meet with you in our one-on-one and on the Friday before something happens that I want to remember, I just write myself a yellow sticky and put it down in the one-on-one. I may or may not talk to you about it in the one-on-one. I probably will. But at least at the end of the year, I've got 50 probably one-on-one forms that I can review.
1: Uh, you know, uh, um, uh, see if you can guess where uh, my mind immediately goes to where I can find all those critical incidents. You tell me, Just, huh,
0: yeah. yeah, I mean, oh. you, you know, you know, it's funny about that, Mike, is that people complain about email, but there it all is. I mean, it, sometimes it's trivial, the, the smallness of it, but that's the beauty of it for an annual review is you've got, you know, in most big companies, a typical email load, you've probably got a 1,000 emails from your employees. And you can go back to February, and you can remember all kinds of things about what was going on in February based on what you're emailing back and forth about.
1: Well, you know what I used to to do, particularly when I had a much larger organization to worry about than I do now, is I used to have a, and I still do for all my people, I still have an email folder, but I used to have a very specific one that was a subfolder that was specific to their review. And as things occurred throughout the year that I wanted to be able to, I wanted to be reminded about when it came time for reviews, I would file that in yeah. the special folder. And so that was the the absolute first place I went when I started digging for this kind of information. And I made sure that I was pretty balanced in terms of both good and bad yep. things I sure. in that folder.
0: Um, hopefully, our folks have started using rules to sort mail by each of their team members so that if it comes from bob and terry who work for me there's a there's a there's a mail a, a inbox folder from bob and then also one from terry um, and i've seen it mike now you, you're a little bit more sophisticated but i've actually seen managers faces just get so excited and feel like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to be able to give give a great review because they're going through their inbox folders and seeing things that happened in January and February that are so long ago. They never dreamed they would remember it. And there it is in black and white, a string of emails back and forth and how they handle it and whether it was good or bad. And quite frankly, sometimes all you need to do is see the first email about a particular situation. And that takes you right back to March. And you're going, Oh, I remember that that turned out really well. He saved my tail on that one. Um, Absolutely. So I, I've seen the looks on faces, uh, and it's well worth going back through email. That's It shouldn't be a crutch to keep you from doing one-on-ones and keeping notes in other places, but email is a great place to look. Okay, and the third thing is, and those are incidents we're talking about, and the third thing is actual behavioral observations. We're not talking about performance in terms of results here. We're not talking about an Incident, but just anything you see that happens day to day, week to week. Again, unlikely you're going to naturally remember it. And in fact, this is the one. Behavioral observations um, tend to be the ones that cause you to have the the what we call the recency skew, which means anything that happens in November and December tends to get weighted more heavily than things that happen in January or February. That's one of the errors uh, um, in terms of evaluation that's pretty common among managers. Um, but if you've been keeping notes. Um, about feedback you've given them positive or negative feedback it'll be easy for you to remind yourself of what the behaviors are and and the reason we mention that is because most evaluations tend to be a combination of how do they do versus their goals what was their performance against plan and then also some comment some some feedback some review of their behavioral traits or characteristics um and, you know their personality if you will is probably that's probably too loose a word um but those are the kind of things that may very well be on the review, and if you take some time to think about them, and again, think about behavior rather than just generalizations like friendly or warm, think about specific behaviors, you'll do well, and it'll make it easier for you when you actually sit down to write. All right, so that that's it for um, job and job holder, and then we've got to go to individual data. Okay? And, and this is just a step to remind you to take you back out of the job and their performance. And remember that you're evaluating a person's performance, so that person's background is important. Get data on their history with the company. HR should be able to give you this. Uh, and, and Mike, I got to tell you, I'm amazed at the number of, number of companies that say, hey, we want you to do reviews. Here are the forms. HR's get got all this great data, and they don't send the great data down because, oh, well, that's confidential. Well, I'm about to write a review that's going to go into their confidential file. Can I see the rest of their file so I can write a good review? Also, I think you should review their resume every year. It helps you to see what their career path is, um, what they've been doing, whether or not there's anything in their background that you're not tapping that might be helpful. Uh, We sometimes get so focused down in the weeds on the day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month and project-based stuff and person's role within that project that we forget to think more broadly about them and their skills and how they might be able to be effective for the organization.
1: Yeah, wouldn't it be wonderful to give somebody some feedback on a performance review about how well they're doing towards achieving some of the goals that they had laid out in terms of the the job they wanted or the position they wanted or transition to... Um, another area of the company that required some new skills that they hadn't developed yet. Yeah,
0: I'm amazed at the number of managers who, who say, well, I gave them a review on the year. I'm saying, yeah, okay, that's good. That's what you need to do. That's what the company asks of you. But gosh, more importantly, w- wouldn't you want to um, tell them how they're doing versus what they want? I mean, if they really want to be a manager someday, we just got a question recently about how can I break into management. If they want to be a manager someday, maybe you should show them how what they're doing is going to help them get into management or not. They may have done everything they're supposed to do during the year, but if you didn't know they wanted to get into management, you may not get as much energy delivered towards you next year. So, yeah. Um, and, and, and really, um, the, if all you do is focus on goals and objectives, you've got too narrow a focus because uh, it means that all they, all you do is manage them year to year rather than over the lifetime of their experience with the organization. Any, any changes in behavior and performance? I mean, it, you know, if in the previous year they achieved every single one of their goals and objectives and the year before that they achieved every single one of their goals and objectives and this is the first year they haven't, maybe it's not them, maybe it's you. <laughs> maybe it's the role they're in. If they're in a new role, they were in a role previously and now they're in a new role and they're struggling a little bit, you may have to spend more time with them and you didn't realize that. You need to be able to review the individual data to help you get a sense of where they are within their career and the company and the job. Number four, self-appraisal, and I I really feel like this is a huge competitive advantage for those of you who are listening. It's too often ignored. Um, Whether your organization requires it or not, we recommend you ask the employee to review themselves, have them fill out the review form, and add to it anything they like, and tell them that you'll be incorporating their input into the review. Um, Don't tell them that they're going to get to write their own review, because they will. Um, don't, Don't mislead them. Um, give them a deadline that allows you to incorporate it. Of course, don't expect them, you know, and and I would say that if I give somebody two weeks and if I have a month to to evaluate 10 people and I give employees two weeks to get me back their stuff and after week two, Joe who works for me says, well, I'm not done yet. I said, okay, Joe, you know, I'll give you a couple more days and a couple more days. I still haven't heard anything from Joe. I'm going to say, Joe, look, let's make it easy. Let's make it sort of a no risk kind of situation. I'll give you until week three and one more week, if you haven't completed it then, I'm not going to include it no matter when you get it to me. And I don't have any problem if I end up getting something at the last minute that's really poorly thrown together. I have no problem giving him feedback about the fact that it's apparent that he doesn't care as much about his review as I do. I I may not ding him significantly on the review, but if he's got other problems, I might use that as an example of him not stepping up to a reasonable request on my part. On the other hand, somebody who really does a bang-up job and gives me a lot of information, I'm going to mention that in the review if I feel like it was an exceptionally good piece of work. And then lastly, I I generally think, think more broadly than just yourself or your team. Um, And that means um, approaching a couple of peers, particularly if you're a new manager. Ask them to give you a couple of reviews that they've written on jobs roughly similar to maybe what your team does. Uh, And if they need to anonymize them so you can't tell who they are, Um, That'd be fine. But you need to see how other people in similar roles to you review people. Um, I wouldn't ask HR because they always have 20 questions and they want to – it becomes too hard. And I would just do this sort of quietly to give you a sense of how well you're progressing toward what you think a good review might look like. This is particularly important if you've never done this before.
1: Hmm. So in this case, you're you're actually looking for information about how others review others. Is that – versus looking for uh, for input about a
0: specific individual's uh, Yeah, you're looking for – this is sort of the last step before you start evaluating the data. In my mind, the data that you're looking at includes two distinct sets. It's everything related to the person – and then there's the organization within the within which they work, and the, and so when you look at uh, uh, the job, that's not really the person, um, but the job holder and the, and the performance data that's about the person. Individual data is about the person. Self appraisal is about the person. But the job is a function of the company. The organizational input is a function about the the form the the, for, the, uh, the arena in which the job and the person um, are working. And it helps to know systemically or systematically how it is the organization works now if you've done this three or four years in a row you probably don't need to know how your peers are evaluating but I think if you are an experienced manager you ought to be sharing data um, with those who are fairly new in fact it'd be great if some some of you are listening if you've been doing your job for a while go to some of the new managers and say listen I'd like to help you out I've taken out all the personal information I thought you might like to see the last year HR said these were particularly good and maybe this will help you write your reviews wouldn't that be a lovely thing well, yeah, before we get into I think the next thing we're going to talk about is evaluating
1: data. But before we get into that, um, it to me we didn't talk any in, in the collecting data um, section about other sources of information. For example, collecting data about the job holder going to the individual's customer, say they, they serve a particular customer within the organization, or going to their peers or going outside of uh, – your direct knowledge of the individual's performance. Is that something worthy
0: of Yes, absolutely. Uh, you, know, we're, we're, you know, you and I, we always struggle against the, the form we're delivering and how much time we have and so on. I absolutely agree um, that that would be good. I, I, in my head, Mike, I'm not saying this is the way to do it, but in my head I kind of lump that into the objective data and the critical incidents. But, I, but you're right, we should add. It may be that you have to reach out to get some of that information. I am a little bit cautious um, of in, in, in just this form to suggest that people ask peers of the employee for input. Um, that touches on something called 360-degree feedback. And while many companies use that, many companies do it terribly, terribly wrong. And I know many companies who say they do it well, who then when I talk privately with managers, they say, well, yeah, but there's a way to game that system and we talk about it and make sure that we're doing the right thing for each other, which absolutely defeats the purpose of the thing. So other than, you know, I, I, I'm not saying some managers can't do it and do it well. I would probably reserve that for knowledge of the particular manager in the particular situation. I absolutely agree, though, if they've got a customer or if they're serving somebody internal in the organization and I can get information from them around objective data or critical incidents or behavioral observations, I'm absolutely going to be all over that. That's, a, that's another source for that job holder or performance data that is so important. And I agree, you're dead on right with that.
1: Yeah, and I suspect in today's business climate that that's required yes. more and more, where folks are matrixed out in various different capacities, and they're actually even though there's a functional manager yeah. responsible for writing the review, there are a number of other supervisors or managers out there that that are going to want to have some some input into the person's. Uh,
0: Yes, Uh, and you know what's funny about that is that everybody talks about the matrix and, well, it's a good plan. You know, we've we've got a functional relationship and they've got a customer and so I want to hear from the customer. And you send an email asking the customer for input, you don't hear anything back. You send another email, nothing back, or, ah, he's doing fine. But then when there's a problem, they want to scream bloody murder that, well, I wish I could get better people and so on. Like, hey, if you're not going to help me be part of the solution, you're part of the problem. I wish I weren't so cynical about that.
1: Yeah, I won't say I've ever used that technique.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so now that that's the five sources of data in terms of collecting data. Um, and, you know, we'd love to spend two hours on that. There's a lot more to talk about, but it depends a great deal on the individual. It depends a great deal on the company and so on. And and I'm sure somebody's going to write us a note and saying, well, that doesn't really work for me. And we'll say, okay, you're probably right. Um, we can't cover every single um, wharf on the waterfront, but we do our best. That was part one of preparing the performance review. I hope you've been taking notes. And if not, a license to our work will get you the show notes, which are pretty great. Since we created these casts, we've created a lot more guidance on performance reviews. So if your question didn't seem to be covered, go to our website, type in performance in the search bar, and it will list podcasts for you that address that. Now, here's part two. The next step is evaluating the data you've gathered. Um, and we feel even, this is even harder because it's really, again, it depends on the company and the role and so on. But there are three steps we do suggest everybody go through before you actually write and fill out the form. And and I will tell you that if you do these well, these are ones you'll remember as being most helpful. you got a big pile of data in front of you. And the first thing, as you've been gathering the data and as you're thinking about it, what does this mean for Joe, this guy I'm evaluating, what does it mean for Terry, what does it mean for Jane? The first thing is begin with the end in mind, just like Stephen Covey says. Lay everything you've got down and ask yourself, what is the core message that I want to send to this person? What is the one thing I wanted to learn from this evaluation? What do I not want him to miss? And then don't lose sight of that idea as you evaluate, as you continue to evaluate and you write. Make sure that message comes through. Now, I'm not suggesting that means that's the only message. You don't want to say, well, I want to send a message that is good, so therefore I'm going to take out everything that's bad. No, that's not it at all. Uh, there's both going to be good and bad in probably every evaluation. Um, but, but so often what happens is we go through each part of the form as we rush to write We go through each part of the form, and then when we get done, we're kind of like, oh, what does that say? Well, each part is right, but the overall intent or the overall um, message is very muddied. And I found it's very, very helpful uh, when you're actually delivering the review to have a clear upfront paragraph or two that describes what the key takeaway should be of the meeting that you're having. And I tell you, if you do not tell people what your key message or takeaway is, they won't get it. Um, quite frankly, when you deliver a review, the only thing you can be sure of, well, it's a little little pop quiz, Mike. What is the one piece of information that everybody can be sure, every manager can be sure the employee gets in an annual or in a performance review? Mike, forget about the form. Forget about the review for a minute. Think about the meeting you have with the employee, the words you say, what they're coming in to hear from you, what they're hoping to find out, when they get done with a meeting, what is the one thing you tell them that they will not forget?
1: Well, their raise, their merit increase or whatever Absolutely you call Absolutely right. It.
0: And if you're not careful, that's what they'll remember. And if you don't have a clear message about the performance, particularly when the raises are smaller or the buckets are narrowly defined between top performer and middle performer or almost top performer and there's a 7% raise or a 3% raise or a 6% raise, if you're not very clear about what your message is, you'll spend they'll spend all their emotional energy thinking about did I get a six or did I get a seven percent raise? And why did I get a six? And boy can't he see that I nearly killed myself this year for him. I think I deserve a seven. Yeah, or give him a one percent, they'll remember that too. Oh, they'll remember that one. Yeah. Okay, so that's the first thing, begin with the end in mind, sketch yourself some notes as you're looking at the data, what is the key message I want to get across and make sure you don't lose that to include a prefatory paragraph or two in the meeting itself where you talk about what the message is. Um, second thing, good idea to remind yourself of common evaluation errors um, as you evaluate the data before you put pen to paper. There are many of them that psychologists can talk to you about, six or seven or eight that are sort of semi-famous and oh, uh, maybe in a longer podcast we'll talk about all those things, but we believe the two that are most common are first the halo effect or it's opposite the horns effect, that's one, and you and that just simply means you like or dislike the person in general, and then you generalize to every part of their performance based on that one perception. Um, You know, A good example might be, you like me working for you. I tend to be pretty smart and pretty aggressive, and so therefore, overall, I do real well. And that causes you to overlook the fact that I can be abrasive at times with with some of my coworkers, and that needs to be included as a developmental opportunity for me. Um, So that would be a halo effect giving a skew to my evaluation. Um, The other effect that I think is very important is the similar-to-me effect. And basically, if someone resembles you, and I 'm not just talking about appearance i'm not not going toward race or gender here, but if they're similar to you in drive or personality or desires or career path or background, this gets layered over their whole evaluation, and they tend to do better on the evaluation than they should and 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 the opposite is true as well. that person has a very different background than me they tend to think differently than me, so therefore they can't they're they're not going to do as well overall um, There is very little evidence um that race plays any factor in evaluations. It's very, very, very slight um, based on a study a number of years ago, but it was not statistically significant. Um, There's very little evidence that gender plays any difference, makes any difference in evaluations. About the only thing that tends to be systematically proven in evaluations is that younger managers, newer managers tend to be tougher than more senior managers. Um, more more seasoned managers, if you will. That's about the only bias in terms of broad biases and those kind of things that tend to be true. Um, but individual common evaluation errors are the two that are biggest, I think, for most managers, are the halo effect and similar to me effect. So just take a moment and think about that. And if you look, and, and this leads to a final point, which is when you're done evaluating everybody, you should look at where everybody ranks um, and put them on a bell curve, if you will, and who's my top person, who's my bottom person, who's in the middle, and so on. And then look and see, when you when you cut it up by race, and by gender, and by age, and by background, and by personality, make sure there's no trends that stand out too, obviously. If all the people who are friendly and outgoing tend to be at the top, but the data suggests, in terms of numbers and, and uh, the objective data, are spread pretty evenly, you may be guilty of a similar-to-me effect um, and you want to be cautious about that. And that's really the third point we want to make is a distribution analysis. Um, See how they fit um, and, and in terms of a distribution of bell curve analysis. And believe it or not, keep in mind that a majority of your team is likely to be in the middle of the bell curve because that's the way bell curves are structured. I know every manager tells me all the time, Mark, Mike, I, I kid you not, I, to- I talked to one manager a couple of years ago at a very large company who told me, Mark, the worst person on my team is better than the best person on any team. That's how that's how loyal I am to my people. <laughs> And I said, well, unfortunately, your loyalty is not what's being evaluated on this form. Uh, It's better to reduce any skew that you have now and let the data drive your evaluation. And then if you feel like there's a misunderstanding or it's really not accurate, then go back and mine the data again to see if you can justify a higher ranking for somebody if you need it don't start out with everybody at the top and then let the data try to drive you down because that will be indicative of a, an evaluation yeah, and i error.
1: can tell you from years of managing managers and managers of managers that the argument that your managers Ugh. or your people are all of them are better than every other person within the entire organization is uh, it gets you absolutely nowhere it brings yeah. into question your your judgment as a manager so it. it don't go there.
0: Yeah. And you know what? In fact, I, I, I listened to a VP once, Mike. Tell me, Mark, you know, I hear that all the time. I have the simplest solution in the world. I say to him, okay, Rob, great. Um, and you've got, this is your bucket for raises. You're not going to get any more. You decide how to apply it. And, and And then this person said, and Rob, if you give it to everybody equally, and Joe and Terry, who you know are your true top performers, even though everybody else is real close to them, if Joe and Terry get 2% because you're trying to protect everybody in your team and over on the team next to yours, Bob and Jane get 5%, you have just short given short shrift to your two top performers. You're going to have to figure out how to divvy up this bucket of, of uh, increases. And and the, the best way to do that is to think about the bell curve. Yeah.
1: It- in my experience, people evaluate how well they've done. It doesn't matter what you've written on the paper. In the end, they judge it based upon the raise they get and the raise they get relative to their peers. And this, in my experience as well, there is nothing more difficult for managers to do than distribute a fixed amount of money across their team. And yeah. The number of times I've seen where people have done this uh peanut butter approach and just spread it evenly across the yep. organization is um it's incredible and it is it, absolutely damning to the organization when you do that.
0: Yeah, it- the the sad thing about it is it's it's much easier to do that if you haven't done feedback and coaching out throughout the year where you haven't given them a lot of a lot of uh, um, insight into how they're doing and of course one of the things we've talked about before we we're not making a big deal out of it in this cast but they ought to be give, you ought to be doing reviews on everybody not with this much detail but you ought to be doing re- annual reviews on everybody performance reviews each quarter so that they're prepared to hear what you're going to tell them at the end of the year but the danger of giving everybody equal is that it demotivates your top performers and motivates your bottom performers. It essentially says keep doing what you're doing to the bottom performers because whether you like it or not, people may not it, it may be quote, private, but let me tell you, your top performers are going to walk out of there being ticked. Your bottom performers are going to out there going, uh, gonna be going, man, I, I got the middle. I did fine. And so they continue to do what they do. And then when you try to give them different feedback in February, they're gonna say, Wait, last year I got the same raise as everybody else. Why all of a sudden are you picking on me? And the top performers say, look, if you're going to pay everybody else the same amount, why should I give you my best? I'm going to either, A, move down to the level that, that is commensurate with the pay you're giving me, or, two, go to a different company or a different boss who's going to pay me what I'm worth.
1: Can you think of a worse situation than a manager encouraging their worst people to stay and encouraging yeah. their best people to leave? That yep. that's, that's exactly, exactly what it happens. happens, and it's, I've, yeah. I've seen it happen. It's, it's uh
0: And I hate to be a pain, but I got to tell you, the reason why they do that is because managers are afraid. Because they're afraid to have that tough conversation to say, you didn't perform as well as I'd like, and so while the mean uh, raise that the organization is giving out this year is 3%, I can only justify giving you 1%. And I'm doing this for two reasons. One is a reflection of your performance last year and to encourage you to do better next year. I want to work with you. I want to do better. And your raise is 1%. Okay, so that's, that's everything on evaluating the data. And now we actually have to write the review. Um, and we apologize. We don't have everybody's review forms to give you individual, individual guidance. Although, you know, when I consult with companies and we start talking about improving performance, I, uh, one of the things I ask for is let me see your annual review so that I can be talking about that throughout the year and coaching managers on how to talk about it so that we're delivering a consistent message. Um, There are some things you can do to be more effective, even in a largely generic sense. Um, and, And the primary thing is the key point to keep in mind when you're writing a review, when you're actually filling out the form, whatever form it is, and you're making your case on that form, is determine what information you have best conveys the core message that you came up with when you were evaluating the data. Now, that's likely to be a combination of behaviors, and their results against goals and performance against goals. Behaviors aren't exactly performance. Performance is sort of aggregated behavior, and results is aggregated performance, if you will. Um, again, I want to go back. This isn't to suggest that if, if, if performance is poor, you're only going to put bad examples go on the review, but the key is, does the preponderance of the information on the, on the form support your core message or key point? Um, and, This is a a neat tip for a lot of managers. Keep in mind that you can't address everything that happened in the past year on the form, so you'll want to have all the data you collected with you in the review meeting to be able to elaborate in any area if you get pushback or people want to know more. More data is better, even if it's not on the form. So if somebody challenged you, you can say, well, that's the example I put on the form. But I actually have six more here, Joe, that'll tell you really where I think you stood. And I think if you put all these together, it'll give you a clear sense why I said what I did in terms of your ranking in that particular area. Um, now, there are two writing techniques that, believe it or not, Mike, when I first suggested these to a manager, she said, that's the neatest thing I ever heard when it came to writing an evaluation And I just kind of taken it for granted because I learned it from a great boss I had, um, but, but we're going to share two points and we're, we're assuming that your review form is some combination of numerical ranking or a scoring system plus some opportunity for written comments, usually not long essays, but some brief period where you get to elaborate upon a numerical ranking. And usually the, the, the guidance is if you give a very high ranking or a very low ranking, you're expected to give good data to, so good information, good commentary to support those rankings. And I know a lot of managers who actually put a lot of people in the center of the form simply because that means they don't have to write a lot. That's not a good reason to do so, although generally in a bell curve situation, it would not be unusual for there to be a lot of average performances against task, and that's fine. Um, So in those cases where some short amount of elaboration is required, we suggest you use one of these two techniques, depending upon how much room you have and how important the point is that you want to make. Uh, The first technique is called the SEER technique, S-E-E-R, and it's generally used in the places where you have more room. And it's probably better if you want to make a more important point. I generally try to use this one first. And then if I don't have room, I, I-, I tend to go to the second uh, technique called the SUMX technique. So the SEER technique it stands for, SEER, S-E-E-R, stands for Summarize, Elaborate, Example, Restate. So, for instance, Bob is my best customer service rep. He consistently exceeds every customer service rep standard in the company. He recently saved a difficult call after three other reps had failed to do so. He's an example we ought to put on training videos. So let's go back over that. Bob is my best customer service rep. That's a summary. He consistently exceeds every standard that the company puts on customer service reps. Okay, That's an elaboration. An example, he recently saved a difficult call after three other reps had failed to do so. And then a restatement. He's an example we got to put on every training video. Or if you want to be even more blunt on the restatement, Bob is my best customer service rep. Period. That's it. Four sentences. Okay. If you need um, a little, you have a little bit less room, or it's not quite as important point, um, then you use what's called the sum X method, which is essentially summarize and then give an example, um, and, and it's two sentences long. In the first sentence, summarize the behavior. And the second, give an example. So this would be as simple as, Bob is my best customer service rep. Recently, he saved a difficult call despite three other reps not being able to, period. There it is. I will tell you that one of the neat techniques, writing techniques, this is an actual writing uh, skill, uh, one of the best ways to reduce the chances that people will disagree with your writing is to write short declarative sentences. And that means avoiding commas, avoiding ands, avoiding semicolons and colons and howevers. Um, The less commas you use in your review, the less other people will misunderstand, and the more likely your review will get the point across that you want to, and it will also pass muster with the organization and with HR. Good writers hate commas, and good writing usually is considered good because it's clear. Commas tend to make people less concise, and uh, I've actually seen plenty of times where all I did was exchange comma with a period, and that's all you need to do. Hmm. It's simple, pretty simple. Good. Um, now, again, there are a thousand different ways to do forms. I mean, it depend upon the form, and so we'd love to give you more guidance, but it just depends on your particular form. Um, Again, now you're going back. Um, you want to, overall, think about whether or not your core message is accurate and whether you've supported it with enough data. If, for some reason, as you look to the end of your form and you say, gosh, I'm just really not sure about what my final rating should be, does does this form support the final rating, highly exceeds or usually exceeds or sometimes exceeds or meets expectations, whatever the case might be, if you feel like you're not really certain, um, if a final rating is called for, uh, a neat technique that I've seen some really savvy managers, particularly technical managers use, is to use a, a weighting factor when you look at the criteria that you're uh, using. Let's say there are seven criteria, and and then at the end there is, okay, tell them where they fit on the scale of doesn't meet expectations, usually meets, meets, exceeds, far exceeds, something like that. If there are seven criteria that are not weighted, in other words, they don't give you a formula to multiply part one by and part two by, then put your own weighting on them in order to see whether or not you're really justifying the far exceeds or the usually exceeds or the often exceeds. Um, So if you've got seven, maybe you look and you say two of those really are the ones I feel are most powerful. Well, okay. Weight those more heavily and take all seven and start off with, say, each one getting 15% of, of the total, which is close to 100%, and then add some to the ones you feel most important about and take some away from some of the others, um, and, and that will be a way to you multiply the one score by the weighting and then add them all up, and that will give you an overall rating and it'll tell you how you fit um, against the, the the new standard, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are two final steps that we recommend that are simple to understand and hard to do. Um, the first one is to take a strategic break. I am really surprised at the number of managers who asked me for help on a review. They send me an example and I say, well, I'd, I'd change this and they're about halfway done. And the next thing I hear they're all the way done and 15 or 20 minutes later because they finally got excited and they're burning through it and they're done. Um, I see a lot of managers rushing at the end of the review process just to get done, versus to support the purpose of the review. Don't do it. Schedule time now, before the deadline, and when you have to deliver these reviews, to take a strategic break. A weekend is great. Don't work on weekends. Don't don't stay busy all week at work. Your January is probably relatively unscheduled right now. Don't fill up your time with stuff on during the week in January and then spend your weekends being miserable and making your families miserable by, by putting it off and rushing at the last minute to get done by Sunday so you can deliver something on Monday. Schedule time now during the holidays, not when you're off with your family. When you're off, you should be off and not working. But schedule time when you're at the office, an hour here or two hours there to gather the data and to evaluate the data. And then schedule time during the work week in the early January um, to start writing the reviews. And then once you're finished writing it, it's going to be a draft. Think of it as a draft. Leave it aside for a weekend or for two or three or four weeknights. Uh, Step away from it. Let the review sit. And then when you come back to it in the final step, and the final review, review it fresh and make sure that main point that you want to make is clearly made, that the, the numbers support whatever final final answer you came up with, um, that the data is supportive of the point you're trying to make. And lastly, you know, let's make sure that there are no spelling or grammar errors. And if you're wondering how to keep from there being spelling errors of words that are incorrect, but in fact are spelled correctly, uh, most copy editors will tell you to review the document in reverse order. Read every word backwards. It's kind of hard to do, kind of confusing, but it really points out when you've got spelling or grammar errors. Um, And then lastly, you want to have all your supporting data available on a separate page or two, typed, handwritten, whatever the case might be, organized to make it easy for you to find what you need that didn't make it onto the final review form itself. And you know, I think we've probably spent about an hour talking about this, Mike, but that essentially is um that those are the steps. You've got to you've gotta gather the data, collect the data, you gotta evaluate it, and then you've got to write the review. And then of course the next step is to deliver it, but that's we gotta, we gotta save that for another set of podcasts.
1: Right. Super. Yeah, th- let me ask you a question though, before we go. Sure. Um yeah. how about how about using um performance software? You know, there's there's software you can buy out there to help you. Yeah. Perform, um, performance reviews. What do you think about the use of those tools and when might it be appropriate and when would it not be appropriate to use something like that?
0: Well, I know you've used it um, or you've certainly know more about them than I do. I've seen them used a couple times. I've never used them myself. Part of the reason for mine is it, um, I'm not the necessarily the best person to ask because I like writing um, and I'd prefer not to let a machine write for me. Um, what I have found is that when they are used, they are going back to that fundamental issue of we're going to write the review rather than actually doing the hard work of preparing the review. If you're really well prepared, writing is easy. Um, so uh, I generally don't recommend it because people use it as a crutch coming up with good words and phrases, adjectives and adverbs that are, ad- adverbs that are powerful. Um But I'm not going to say to a manager, if you've got all your data together and you're just not a great writer, you're really struggling with writing, I don't think they'd be a bad idea. I just don't think they can make you a great reviewer if you haven't done your homework, collected the data, evaluated the data, and know exactly why you want to send John this message and Terry that message. Um, You can't make a great review just by writing it well. You might impress somebody in HR, um, so would I rule them out out of hand? No. In fact, for the right manager, I would say it'd be great. Um, but not every manager is the right manager to be using them.
1: Yeah, I'm not. Um, yeah, I've used them in the past. Matter of fact, one one particular year, that was how the entire organization did reviews, and it was more wow. of filling in the blanks than it was yes. using it to generate the text. Um, so. Um, it was useful in the sense of formatting the review and you know f- printing out the right. final document. Sure. That was pretty nice. In terms of use, in terms of generating the text, I've, I'm kind of kind of mixed. In some cases, it was useful to give you a, a structure for. I, I think it was very similar to like the the Sear technique that you talked about. Right. And right. that it would kind of generate something in that form, and then you would end up doing quite a bit of extensive editing. And in right. the end, I'm not sure it saved any time at all although um if somebody simply had the sear technique i think they would have been just as far down the path and probably saved a lot of time and created something more effective in the end
0: well i'll tell you if i can if we have time um this may end up on the cutting room floor but but um I'll tell you how I came up with a seer technique, and then I've essentially adopted somebody else's sum x method um, because people said they didn't want to write four sentences. I started reviewing a bunch of managers' evaluations, and I realized that what they were trying to do in a very small space was write a tell a story. Look, I mean, I love stories. Stories are how we learn. It's an important part of our culture. But it's not. But reviews are not a place to tell a story. They literally would start at the beginning. Right. And they would say, well, back in March. And I'm like, wow, there's back in March are three words we don't have time for in a quarter inch vertical space on a review form. Um, and, and so what I, I had this flash of when what other times am I asked by clients? to teach them to communicate more concisely when a story, a whole story may not be effective. And what hit me on the head was the, the Sear technique is actually originally comes from how to answer questions if you've given a speech or if you're talking to the media. It, it's a way of structuring your answer that's clear and crisp rather than telling a story and getting any, a, a reporter irritated that you're not answering their question You've almost said, "I don't want to tell you what you want to know. I want to tell you what I want you to know." And the Sear technique makes it crisp and easy and fast, and yet it, de- it definitely delivers on on the question. And so that I essentially adopted the Sear technique for this, and the SumX is just a sort of a, a, a slim down version of the Sear technique.
1: Hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, and, and usually, what it boils down, you know, good writing, really, really good writing, is incredibly concise. There's a famous story about the the two. Poets that were writing letters to each other. I'm sure somebody will write in and tell us who they were. One of them may have been Elizabeth Barrett Browning. And, and the note at the end of the note, one said, "I'm I'm sorry I wrote so long. I would have written you a shorter letter had I more time. Because a good writer would figure out a way to yep. cut out the extra words and get rid of commas and be more declarative and more more simple. So so if you find yourself writing too long, jump on the Sear technique or the Sumex technique, and that will that will crisp up your writing and get rid of the commas.
1: Good. Talk to me a little bit about the the balance between creating an objective review against some specific well-defined performance measures um, versus uh, a a relative performance review, i.e. performance of the individual relative to their peers in a similar position. (laughs) A lot of folks run into this kind of dilemma where if they were to be objective, the individual would get a less than – Um, average um, review in the sense that there's a lot of organizations where reviews are 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 pretty um what's the word i'm looking for inflated Inflated. um and if you were to give and you as a more let's see a more careful manager were to give an objective review you would in fact end up hurting a good performer
0: yeah okay Um, it's a, it, it, that's an answer we could talk about for probably half an hour. I'll give you kind of a high level. Um, at some point here, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, but I don't recommend everybody do that. Um, one, one school of thought would be you would essentially accept whatever form, whatever natural inflation the company does. And you'll essentially write a review that goes to that. and, And you're essentially protecting your employee um, and the review is a, a, everybody in HR and your boss likes it and it fits and it's correct, while secretly you all know that probably you're not being as strongly positive about your top performers and you're probably not being as strongly negative on your bottom performers, okay? That's the, the necessary. The, the, it, inflated systems not only, hurt pe- not only help people at the bottom, they hurt people at the top because there's not a lot of room for them to be distinguished from people in the Absolutely. middle or the bottom of the evaluation, yeah. okay? So so one school of thought is you just write to the system, and it's it's not, I guess it's what you call relative, um, in that you're writing relative to everybody else, okay? I find that egregious, but acceptable. Um, another technique, the other end of the spectrum, is to say, to heck with the system. I'm going to write absolutely objective evaluations, and I'm going to spread my team out if, in fact, they deserve to be spread out, and usually most teams do. No matter how good a manager I am, I've had good performers and bad performers, And I'm going to be very direct about it. I'm prepared a little bit, more than most, I'm certain, to poke my finger in the eye of the organization that says, well, we really can't give somebody that evaluation. Now, the reason I do that is because I've spent the last year gathering hordes of data that nobody else has. I've got all my one-on-one forms. I've got all the emails that I've sent, categorized, printed out in a form that's probably, I've probably got a file two inches thick, and I'm going to bury HR in data. Okay, I do this because not only do I want my bottom performers, not only do I want to send a message to the organization, my bottom performers really are that bad and I can prove it, but you're going to have a hard time taking away my top rating from my top performers and therefore they're going to get a top raise and they're going to want to continue working for me because I'm the one that truly proves how good they are. Okay, Um, now all that said, I don't recommend the vast majority of managers do that um, because they usually don't have the data to support it, and they end up caving and accepting whatever HR or their boss wants. And look, if your boss, if your your evaluations don't fit into the larger bell curve, if you will, or the rankings that your boss has to produce, your boss will tell you change them. Period. And I'm not suggesting anybody get fired over writing an annual review. I think there's some middle ground that I can recommend. I, I really can't feel very strongly about recommending just go along with whatever the company says. Um, what I can recommend is what amounts to writing two reviews, or satisfying the organization by making sure that whatever you write fits in with the with the inflation inflationary system that you have, but make sure that there is additional data covered to allow a poor performer and a top performer to know how well they're doing. Now, the problem with this is that it tends to hurt your top performers more than it hurts your bottom performers in that the bottom performers feel like they got a pass. You better make sure that when you give them the Second part of the review. We say, look, this is a review. The system is inflated. If I told you, if I put down on paper how you actually did, you'd be over here. And I'm not prepared to tell you in one year that your 10 years with a company where you've been given above average reviews are grossly inaccurate. Uh, I'm going to tell you that you've just had a warning shot fired across your bow. I've been your manager for one year. Um, or maybe I was your manager for 10 years, but this is the first year I'm telling you next year is going to be different, and I'm going to be collecting data to support my different evaluation next year, and you've got to pass this year. But you're not going to have 10 more years of passes if I'm your boss for 10 more years. For my top performers, I'm going to say, you know what? The system is very inflated. Here are some things I'm going to do next year to make sure that you get highlighted a certain way. And I'm going to fight these particular ways for you. And I'm also going to put a memo in the record to the boss, which says, you know, the system doesn't really give me a chance to evaluate Bob as truly great as he is because everything's inflated. And so here's some things I want your help on next year to give Bob the kind of visibility to top people that will help him or her. Um, be perceived more effectively to make it easier for me to give them a fully exceeds expectations, the top rating that our company gives. Um, now, I'm also very willing to to make relationships with everybody else in the organization and to know where HR's stand is, to talk to HR in advance, to give them three months' notice in advance that one of my top performers is truly going to be a fully exceeds and this other person is a bottom performer, and I want to give you some sense of the data that I've already got over nine months like maybe I'll show them the third quarter, quote, annual reviews that I just got get done giving everybody. And so, you know, I've got one of the guys that, that if I gave him a review equivalent to the previous three quarters, he would, he would do terribly. Um, and I want you to know that I've got data to support that. Uh, I, I'm doing those kind of things all along because I don't consider the annual review to be just something that happens at the end of the year. I consider it to be nothing more than the end result of a year's worth of work. Is that, I mean, I know that's kind of a long answer, did I? Yeah,
1: no, that makes a lot of sense. So my, my experience is it's, and my question was really more directed toward making sure that your your top people get, a, get an accurate performance review in the sense of they understand what they need to work on the following year, um, but doing it in a way, in a manner such that they don't get unfairly punished by the system because it's not, quote unquote, a perfect review.
0: Yeah, in that case, where I've got a top performer who, you know, he, he's clearly doing well, and I think there's a chance that he could get the top possible number, but if I truly evaluating objectively, I might take him off of that, and that would be like the kiss of death. If the form, if the system is that inflated, then the last thing I want to do is going to hurt my top performers. I might take a different approach to one of my bottom performers. Um And it just depends on the system and how inflated it is and so on. But the last thing I'm going to do is is say to myself, I can't irritate anyone or, you know, I have to take care of everyone. So therefore, I won't irritate anyone. The people I'm most interested in taking care of is my top performers. My bottom performers, you know, the top 20% of my staff tend to do 80% of my work, like it or not. If I get in trouble with my bottom performers a little bit, that's I'm okay with that. I don't want to be in trouble with my top performers.
1: You know, in my 25 years of doing this or whatever, I, I you know, I've never lost any sleep about uh, the effects of an objective evaluation of my bottom performers. That's yeah. never bothered me, and clearly, my bottom performers, I want to encourage them to seek other forms of employment. So that's that's,
0: that's frankly you know, never bothered me. It's, yeah, it's you know it's when we talked earlier. People. When we talked earlier about this, um, I had a thought. One of the ways we started talking about this was, of course, the Army system. At the time when we were officers, there was a a non-commissioned officer system, and we had a lot of great NCOs work for us. We were very lucky. Um, And um, the system was basically they had to get 125 out of 125. The system was so inflated that if you get 124 out of 125 points, you must have done something terrible like inadvertently killed somebody. Yeah. and, and my thinking about that is if, if an NCO worked for me and it really literally had done so poorly but I couldn't justify firing them, I would say to them, I'm going to give you a 125 this year. If your performance stays the way it is, I will fight for you to get a 124 next year. And what they knew that meant was that would be the end of the career. What ended up happening was they – and what I would say is if I am your boss at your next review – and it's longer than 90 days from now, and I don't see any improvement, I'm going to follow my sword to give you a 124 rather than a 125. What would happen then is they would both get very motivated to do better, which is sometimes all that I needed, or they would figure out a way to leave my team, and that's a good thing too. Right, right. So... Yeah, I don't. I, you know, I, Now, I, I'm not going to help him go somewhere else. I, I think that's another problem with annual reviews. People, well, let's send him over there. He hasn't been doing well here. Let's send him to another team. And nobody's willing to say, boy, he's really a problem. I would never. I'd follow my sword and quit before I ever did that. I wouldn't say, right. well, I really want you to take this guy. He's really pretty good. He's got some issues, but you'll like him. I wouldn't yeah, do no,
1: it. I, I can't imagine you doing that. I'll tell you, and we're running out of, out of time here, obviously. But, but one thing that's been terribly effective for me is i have always tried to spread out the curve i've tried to have people at the bottom as well as people at the top and the act of doing that has again encouraged the poor performers to leave and it's encouraged the the best performers to to stay and my my success in my career has largely been a result of the kind of people I have working for me. And and, and
0: even let's be more precise. Not just the kind of people you have working for you. Yes, of course that's true. But the kind of people who want to come to work for you. You end up getting a better recruiting class, if you will, every year internally because people know you take care of your top performers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There was a period of, for a couple years or so, in my old information technology job that it was, I, I think it's pretty safe to say that, um, Folks thought that if you wanted to get promoted to yeah. a director, if you wanted to be an executive in the company, then you'd go to work for, for Mike. Yeah, And the reason being is in the previous two years, the only executives, the only folks that got promoted to the executive ranks came out of my organization. Yep. And I will tell you that those folks absolutely deserved it. It wasn't a matter of my persuasive abilities to get them promoted, but it was a result of what you just said, which is you get people promoted, then the best people are going to come w- – want to come work for you i and I the only way to maintain credibility by the way in terms of getting your best pe- people promoted is you have to highlight the worst performers of what as yes. as well you can't yeah. put everybody up into the top quartile it doesn't
0: work I, I remember working for you years ago when you were a client of mine when we first started this whole discussion about manager tools and leader tools and so on i remember saying to you once you have got some superstars working for you, and and you know people really hadn't officially noticed it yet. The 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 the, the promotions hadn't yet quite occurred. Um, that happened a little bit later, and and you just kind of raise your eyebrows to say, "Oh yeah, you noticed, man. I got some good people working for me." And and you know you said, "Look, you know you told me that I remember very clearly. You said, look, if you ever need two hours of my time for us to just go noodle about things, we, I can do it.'" And that was one of the first times that an executive director or senior person in an organization ever ever said that and the reason why is because you had great people working for you and you didn't need to be in their shorts all the time managing their work cuz they were so good they were doing it themselves
1: that yeah, was a great was it was a true
0: true moment of you know executive knowledge
1: that was good all righty well we've we've um <laughs> i suspect we'll have uh have broken this up into two podcasts yeah. because of the length but um we're it's good it. stuff it's a it's a big topic and yeah. an incredibly important topic so Thanks for sharing this with us. This is uh, great stuff, and I hope this um, gives folks some information to, to think about over the holidays as they prepare
0: for their, their reviews coming up. We really, if, if you do this well this year, it will catapult you next year. You'll change your relationship subtly with your folks, and it will remind you how important it is to gather data throughout the year and do the reviews quarterly so that next year, this time, you don't even need to review this podcast because you're all over it.
1: Absolutely, and we're going to come back at the the beginning of this coming year and talk about performance management systems. Yep. In a much broader context, so that y- when you get to this point next year, you'll be you'll be golden. Yep. All right. Thanks, thanks for friend.
0: friend. All right. See ya. Bye.
1: Bye. All right, everyone. That's it for today, and thanks for joining us. I'd like to send some uh, thanks and appreciation to those folks who've uh, cared to leave us feedback on the website. We always appreciate that. We have got a couple people who've left us comments on the audio voice line as well so um we're gonna be sure to include that in one of these podcasts when we get to a subject that doesn't quite take up all the allotted time we try to get these things done in 30 minutes and if you've been with us for any great length of time we're fairly uh, poor at reaching that objective probably closer to 40 so um, we won't add uh, these audio comments to that um, in the meantime um, enjoy uh, the holidays and uh, we'll see you again next week See y'all.